Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. You say yes to Jesus, and because he has shed his blood for your spiritual, eternal atonement, what, that, what happens then is his blood, his spiritual life, the life is in the blood, his spiritual life cleanses you, removes your sin, he puts his spirit in you, that leaves you holy, because once something is sanctified, it's holy, then he lives within you. It's so simple. Say, I'm holy, because Jesus is in me. And I don't see any lightning bolts. You know, there are, you preach that in some places, and it's like, ooh, yeah, but it's positional, and it's progressive, and it's not for now. And it's like, okay, well, okay. Come back and talk to me after you've put on your spiritual thinking. And I'm not talking about mystical thinking or being all, I just mean, let's look at the truth based on what's happened in the spirit. And that is, he has cleansed you, removed your sin from you. Jesus gave you his right standing. When you stand before the Father, it may as well be Jesus standing there in regard to how he's looking at you. Because Jesus exchanged places with you. Amen? Amen. That's really what Christianity is all about is becoming convinced of that, responding to that. Faith is a response to what I just described. Faith says, okay, Jesus, you went through all that for me. I'm willing to believe that. And to the degree that I believe that, that's what determines whether or not my faith is great or small. See, Jesus got on to the boys about having little faith. And we've all wondered, well, how do I get that great faith stuff, right? You ever felt like you needed more faith? Faith is this. It's a response to what Jesus has already done, specifically in you and for you. When Jesus was in the boat and they were all whining and crying about the storm, and he stood up and he rebuked the storm and he turned around and then he rebuked them, and he said, O ye of little faith. That's a little troubling, isn't it? You don't want Jesus to talk to you that way. And what that does is to a carnal performance-based mindset, what that makes you think is, oh, I've got to get more faith. When all this, this past month we've been talking about, the definition of what faith really is, is to think to be true or to be confident in something or to give credit to. So faith is a confidence Faith is not a spiritual commodity that you've got to get more of. It's a confidence specifically in what Jesus promised and what he already did. So if you want great faith, how many want great faith? You become more confident in what Jesus has already done. Because when Jesus told them, you owe you of little faith, what he said was you didn't consider the miracle of the loaves. Meaning he had just fed thousands of people five loaves of bread and two pieces of fish. And what he's telling them is you don't, have, you don't have great faith because you didn't consider this miracle that I did. You didn't consider what I have done. You didn't consider the provision that I have provided for you, so your faith is little. 
What your faith is in is looking at this storm, not what I'm able to do. You want great faith? Look at what he did and include yourself in that exchange. And I'm telling you, if you can make that tweak in your mind, see, we all think, how do I get God to show up and do things? You don't say it that way, but that's how we pray. God, what's it going to take for me to convince you to get involved in this situation right now? That's, that's how we think. It's how we pray. And it's like, no, that's not faith. That's separation. That's thinking that God's distant. That's not realizing that you're a child. That's not realizing that you belong to him and that you're qualified for everything that he has for you. So how convinced are you of what Jesus did and how convinced and confident are you that it was for you? That's where, man, how you answer those questions determines whether you're going to start another denomination or not. It's like, okay, yeah, well, I believe he's going to do this, but I'm only willing to go this far. Okay, well, let's build a church here on that. Okay, well, yes, but it's this, but then we've got to have this part too. Okay, well, let's build a church over here on that one. That, you know, that, that's what's happened. Not that we've got it all worked out, but we're all the body. So I've got, really, I've got one thing that I want to ask you, and I'm going to chat around that idea a little bit. <clears throat> but here's the question, and I, and I felt like this question came to me this week. So I, I've, I've, got, I've got issues. Anybody got issues? I've got Christmas time issues. Mom, plug your ears for a minute. This is not offensive toward my mother. It was, it was someone else in my household. But growing up, here comes the tree, here comes the decorations, and it's just the fight. And it's just, just the, 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 the so I can't even talk about it now. It's like it rises up. No, I can, but, you know, you, you have things from your past that for whatever reason, they just creep up. And you're like, where did this come from? Why, why I don't want this. And so it's a choice, you know. Yes, we do have things that have happened to us, but what are you going to do about it? Are you going to sit in it and say, I am a victim of my past. I can't do anything about it. It's just who I am. Or are you going to say, you know what? I'm a new creature in Christ. I can change this with one decision right now. But it takes you making that decision. And so here's the question that I have. And it's potentially offensive so just go ahead and decide you're going to take it the right way, okay? <laughs> How do you expect God to be able to change the circumstances in your life if you're not letting Him change your mood? God, I need this miracle to happen. I need this big, massive, huge thing. To, I need this mountain to be moved from here to here. But I'm going to sit here and be mad about it. I'm going to sit here and be afraid about it. You know, if you're praying from fear or lack, you may as well just say God, tell God that you're just pretending to have faith. Because praying in faith is not from fear or lack or worry. It's confidence toward what he's done. So this is going to be a tip, and I'm going to kind of talk about this a little bit. And I, I, just, I, I like to give you practical things that you can do. See, because your capacity to receive from God starts in your heart. What you allow to live in your heart will grow into your life. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Out of the heart flow all the issues of life. Above all else, guard your heart. 
See, what you allow to grow and live in your heart will grow and live in your life. But it's our choice. What am I going to let live and grow in there? Am I going to let God's promises? Am I going to let a heart that's focused on what Jesus has done define how I see the world? Or am I just going to be a victim of my emotions? Am I just going to be a victim of my past? I mean, even if you're sitting in the middle of something right now and you're paying for a mistake that you made, sin has a way of doing that, you know, especially the emotional aspect of it. Just decide, you know what? I was stupid. Say that with me. Say, no, I'm kidding. Don't say that. <laughs> I was dumb. I made a mistake. But you know what? There's hope for me. I'm still breathing, and God loves me, and he's got good plans for me. So that's the issue. Can we shift into hope, even if you're sitting in the middle of hopelessness? But it's a choice. It's not you kicking back and going, God, you need to impress me. Please, have you ever prayed, God, please change me? That's not a very good prayer. (laughs) I'm setting you up for all kinds of stuff today. Sorry about that. But (laughs) Thank you, sir. Can I have another? (laughs) No. It's, God, I am willing to let you transform me. See, because it's, it's a tweak, but you have to open your heart. God is like a flood. He's like a river. He's like a constant presence. He's like gravity. He's always there. He's always effective. He's always seeking to exert his influence into our lives. And when he has his influence, it's good. It's life. It's blessing. It's purity. It's cleansing. But when we come to him and we're focused on ourselves and our sin and our guilt and our shame and our hopelessness, we're shutting him out. He's not shutting us out. We actually do what Galatians 2.21 calls neutralizing grace. See, God doesn't say, oh, wait a minute, you're not doing it right. I'm going to take my grace back. We just neutralize the effectiveness of it. We dilute his power in our lives with our doubt. And so it's like sometimes it's going to work, sometimes it's not, but it's dependent upon where you are in your heart. See, faith, again, it's a confidence toward him. Faith is a response. It's, 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 it's like if you could look at what Jesus had done and you see into heaven and you see and you look on the other side of this dimension and you, you see maybe yourself in heaven and you're looking at your spiritual you and you say, one day... I'll be perfect, I'll be holy, I'll be righteous, I'll be sin-free, I'll be perfectly healthy. There will be no more tears. And you, you are detached from that and push that off into the future or even after death, and you're not realizing that that's the kind of life that God gave you now, you're going to constantly look for things to stay where you are. See, hope does something very, very interesting. Hope, let me give you a definition. Hope is the confident expectation of good things. Hope says, you know what? Jesus completed my salvation. I actually expect that that salvation is going to produce good things into my life. But hope is a choice. And hope is not, hope is a byproduct of faith, meaning hope, you believing that things can get better 
is a byproduct of you having confidence in what Jesus already did. I, it's like I, I want to like write a new Bible and put the definitions in of what they mean to us in our language today. Because we think faith, and it's like, what does that even mean to us anymore? But when you think, oh, confidence. Do I have confidence in Jesus? See, it's not that you have enough faith. It's how confident are you? Not in you, not in your ability to be confident, but in what he has done. How confident are you in what he's done? I think that's what he does. And I'm going to bring this up at the end, but I'm going to give you an exercise of Jesus standing in front of you and asking you, are you confident in me? I think that's what he's asking. So let's just look at a, a couple of scriptures. Let's go over to um, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Let me just say a couple of things while we're getting there. We've been talking about obedience. Let me give you just a little bit more backstory here. We've been talking about obedience. But the, the definition of obedience, the, the obedience is actually the root word of faith. When you look at faith, it gives you Greek root words. It's like believe, faith, and obedience are, our, are all part of the same word. So let me give you a, a kind of a, a picture of what this looks like. So you got believe, faith, and obedience. Obedience in the original language is the root word of faith, which is the root word of believe. In our language, it looks more like this. You've got a belief, you've got belief, believe, and believing. So there's this belief that's out there that you can choose to believe. And then when you are actively living out what you believe, you are believing. Does that make sense? I'm not trying to talk to you like you're two. I just want to make it a little bit more simple. Because when we think obedience, we think, oh, I've got to check all the boxes of God's laws and make him happy. That's what we think when we think obedience. But obedience is actually the same thing as what believing in faith is. It's just belief in action. What are you believing? I believe that Jesus set me free from the power of sin. So I'm going to see myself that way. I'm going to believe that there's enough grace around for me to walk out of the power of sin. That's obedience. Being willing to believe and be empowered by what he is giving you is obedience. But see, the carnal mindset, the religious mindset, stands on the outside and says, you better obey and quit sinning because it's looking for the fruit rather than looking how you get to the fruit. You see what I'm saying? We've got, we need to make a spiritual shift in the way that we approach Christianity and the way that we teach in our pulpits, I think, to start from the truth, start from the spiritual reality and work our way from there, not, back, not backwards. The way that you perfectly obey God is not that you somehow figure out how to quit sinning. The way that you perfectly obey God is that in everything, you choose to believe that He's telling the truth. In everything, you choose to believe that He is victorious, and so are you because you're in Him. Perfect obedience is perfect belief. Fully persuaded, fully convinced that he is active, he's delivered you, he's giving you grace to walk out whatever it is that you're walking through. Now, in this world, there's trouble. In this world, there's difficulty. But perfect faith, perfect obedience, in spite of that, even though you might experience outward difficulty, inwardly follows God right through the middle of it. 
and comes out unscathed, comes out not even smelling like smoke, like the three Hebrew children under King Nebuchadnezzar who were thrown in the fire. And then all of a sudden they look in there and there's a fourth guy in there. And the shackles that are holding them burn away. And they walk out of the fire and they don't even smell like smoke. That's, that's my life. That's what I want my life to look like. Doesn't mean I'm not ever going to walk through the fire. Doesn't mean I'm not ever going to have difficulty. It just means he's with me, and as I walk through, he protects me, and I come out not smelling like smoke. Amen? So, obedience is faith in action because of your confidence in what Jesus has already done. When you have confidence, you're facing something, right? You're going through a difficulty. You place your confidence in Jesus that he has delivered you. You are perfectly obeying him, regardless of what your performance is. What? Yeah. By the way, performance is, never, is not even part of the definition of obedience. It has everything to do with confidence. So, obedience is not to move God... It's to get into agreement with Him. When you're in agreement with God and what He's promised and done in Jesus, you are obeying Him. That obedience will produce the associated behavior. Amen? All right. So let's go to Hebrews 1, or Hebrews 11, 1. And we're going to look at how faith and hope are tied together. Because honestly... We just need to make a choice that we can actually expect that things will get better. I mean, look at the world, right? Do you believe it can get better? Amen. Do you? I've seen some of y'all's Facebook posts. I'm not sure you believe that. Do you believe your life can get better? Do you believe God even wants it to get better? It just starts there. It just starts with being willing to actually take God out of his Jeremiah 29, 11 says... And, all, and 1 Corinthians 1.20 says, all my promises are yes and amen. So there's a promise in Jeremiah 20.11 that says, I've got good plans for you. So there's a promise for you that God has good plans for you in everything. All right, let's go ahead. I've referenced it like 18 times. Now let's actually read it here. <clears throat> so now, say now. now. Faith. <laughs> Faith. But let's replace this and say Confidence toward God. Now faith is... Wait a minute. Now faith or... See, NIV kind of got it right. It started to see that it should have totally exchanged. Now I'm not trying to say I'm the Bible scholar that should know how Bibles are translated. But NIV was translated by some people that got together and some things aren't not exactly how they should be. It said faith and confidence in the same thing. It should, have, it should just say confidence. So what we could say is confidence toward God is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. See, the fact that you have confidence in what Jesus did is the building blocks of what you're hoping for. See, your confidence toward God is the evidence of what you can't see. We're looking for evidence, right? We want, we want to be able to pray and look and see that something changed, then we'll believe it. And, but see, faith is not blindly accepting that it's going to get better and not really knowing what God is doing. It's a, it's a confidence. No, you know what? 
There is an expected end to this. I will be healed of this disease. I will overcome depression. I will conquer this sin. I will not be broke anymore. There is a specific, confident expectation towards something. All of those are promises that God gave you. But your confidence toward God is what begins to allow your heart to let that stuff be built in your life. Faith is a confidence. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a response toward Him. It is the evidence. And like Prophet Denzel Washington said, I watched this video, Denzel Washington. You guys know who Denzel is, right? He's an actor. He was talking to some young actors on a stage, and he said something really, really interesting. That guy's a believer, by the way. But he said it this way. I like the way he said it, and I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't remember exactly what he said. Is that okay? But it was this. The fact that you have faith for something in your heart is the evidence from God that you can expect it. The fact that you've got a desire in your heart for whatever it is. Now, all things being equal, on a mature level, expecting biblical things, you know what I mean. I mean, I'm not talking about a jetpack that's going to fly you to Mars while you're eating ham sandwiches or something like that. I mean, within reason, within biblical promise standards here. It's just weird where people go with this stuff. I, you know, I hate to even have to qualify it, but there might be somebody listening online that'll send me a message. Well, you said that. Okay, come on. Grow up a little bit. Anyway, the fact that you've got faith for it in your heart is proof from God that it can be yours. God's not going to let you have false hope. Think about that. Do you have promise? Do you have hope in your heart that your life can get better? Well, God allowed that to be there. God put that in there. God put the capacity for you to expect things to get better in you because it can get better. He's not an evil genius up there pulling the strings, seeing what, how we're going to react like a rat running through a maze trying to find the cheese. He's giving you the cheese. Say, I already have the cheese. You never said that in church, have you? I, you know, we just got to think about this stuff differently sometimes because it's all about where we go in our minds and in our hearts with this stuff. So hope is not just an emotion. It's a deeper feeling that can abide and we can remain in. So let me go back to this question again. How do you expect to allow God? See, he's already given you everything that pertains unto life and godliness. He's already qualified you for every promise in Jesus. He's already delivered you from the power of darkness and translated you into his kingdom. All of that stuff is already true of you spiritually that you can experience now. But there has to be an expectation that it can actually be built into our lives. See, we think grace is magic or we think God is just sovereign. It's like, well, if he wants me to have those things, he'll show up and he'll do those things in my life. The fact that I don't have it means that he's not ready for me to have it yet. So all in his perfect timing, it's going to work out. <laughs> but you know what? That preach is nice. Doesn't that make you feel better? Maybe. You ever heard that kind of preaching? Yeah. It, that's, just, that's religion at its worst. Watering down the word of God to the level of our circumstances. 
That's what we do. So here's, here's what I want to challenge you with this week. Do you have some things that you're expecting to get better? Do you have some prayers that have not yet fully manifest? Maybe you've got some things in your life that feel impossible. They feel like you've settled and you're just going to have to live with this. You feel like there's no way that this can change. There's no way that this can turn to good. You know what? There's always reason to hope. But what we do is we pray, and it's like we see Jesus over there, and we give him lip service. Hey, Jesus, you know, I'm going to act like I'm trusting you over here, but I don't know what you're doing over there, so I'm just going to continue to live in my little bubble here. Rather than inviting him actually into our bubble and realizing that he's already in there with us, and living with Him, living in Him with Him living in us. So here's what the challenge this week, and, and I hope that this becomes an exercise that you can do in multiple areas, but that is, can you focus on what He's done for you to the degree that it changes your mood? Can you think about Him and His influence toward you to the degree that you actually change how you feel from depressed to maybe a little less depressed. Maybe it just starts there, right? Maybe from, oh, I feel like I would rather be under the dirt to, you know what? I've got tomorrow might be a good day for me. Do you know what I'm, I'm talking about? Seriously, you'd be surprised at the degree of depression, depression which people deal with. And see, it's not just, God, please do something. I'm desperate. Show up and change me. It's no, I acknowledge what you did for me. I see me in the sacrifice because you valued me so much that you sent your son here to die in my place. You wanted me in your family. You love me. See, this is the process. This is is what faith looks like. It's saying, I respond to you. That is what's going to change your mood. That's what's going to change how you feel. And you will make decisions according to how you feel. So you want to make decisions out of worry, or do you want to make decisions out of hope? Do you want to make decisions out of fear, or do you want to make decisions out of confidence? And it's all wrapped in this environment of love. What degree can you look at Jesus and allow that to make you feel loved. I mean, it's really pretty simple stuff, but it's the stuff we don't do. So let's go to Philippians 4.8, and I'll give you this exercise and talk about it a little bit more. Philippians 4.8, this is... See, we've missed this element in Christianity, and that is, what are you allowing to dwell in your heart and in your mind? Where are your thoughts going? We don't make the connection that what you allow to abide in your thinking is what's going to create the filter through which you see life, which is going to determine how you make choices and what you're even willing to trust God for. Did you follow me on all that? Your thoughts ultimately filter and regulate and constrict what you're allowing to let God do for you. It's crazy. So here's the exercise. Philippians 4.8. When you're facing something, now this requires you to become aware of what you're thinking. You'd be surprised how unaware we are. 
how unaware we are of how we feel. Next time you sit down to eat, ask yourself, how do I feel right now? Am I receiving this with thanksgiving or am I concerned this is not going to be healthy for my body? You know, how you receive your food determines a lot to how you digest it and process it. It's really amazing. That's why he said receive it with thanksgiving. In fact, they've done a study with food, all different kind of emotional studies. People process their food best when they receive it with thanksgiving. Interesting, right? So anyway, this is your exercise. When you're facing something, when you are starting to write those bills, when you are starting to be in the environment with your spouse or you're around your kids or you're going to your job and how it starts to make you feel or how it starts to make you make decisions or you've got to make a decision, just anything, anywhere in life. <laughs> Does that pretty much cover it? Ask yourself this, and what, is what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling true? Is this true? Well, I feel like I'm just going to have to deal with this my whole life. Well, is that true? See, in light of what Jesus did for you, is it true? Are you being honest with yourself? Are you owning your part? Are you being honest with God? Are you willing to strip away all that stuff we put between us and Him and let Him speak to you, let Him move in your life? Is it just? What Jesus went through was a very specific legal transaction. And the law of double jeopardy applies, meaning you can't be tried for the same thing twice. And if somebody, if we're in him, we can't be tried for what he's already paid for. So he went through trial, judgment, and penalty in your behalf. So what he went through and the punishment that he received for your sin that punishment cannot now be applied to you because that would be unjust. And God is a loving father, but he's a righteous judge as well. So think of it this way. And I'm pausing for a minute because it's a big deal when you start to think of what is justified in my life. See, depression is an illegal invader in your life. It's unjust for it to be there because Jesus bore it on the cross and already paid for it. In the court of gaining your salvation, he dealt with and paid for your depression. Amen. Sickness is an illegal invader into your life because Jesus dealt with it and paid for it. It says it on the cross, Isaiah 53. He took upon himself our sicknesses. Some people have trouble with that. It's like, I don't believe in that healing stuff. Well, you know what? You're telling me you don't believe the Bible then. He paid for it. Yes. Strife, all of the stuff, it doesn't have a right to be in your life. Jesus already paid for that. So ask yourself, when you're facing things, did Jesus do something about this? Well, he already paid this price for the, for the penalty or the victory, and I'm in him. Is it pure? I like this one. Is it lovely? Is this lovely? <laughs> Ask yourself. Some of y'all do some things ain't so lovely. Me too. When you're getting ready to think about it or whatever, is this lovely? 
you laugh now, you think that's silly, but it'll be a reminder to you. You watch, this word lovely will creep up in your mind and in your heart and your thinking and you're looking at your life, is this lovely? And what that will do is it will serve to shift your thinking back to Jesus where there is grace available to live in. Amen? Whatsoever is of good report, does it match the good report of Jesus? If there be any virtue... Now, this is the part that we, we've missed in Christianity, that what you allow to live in your thoughts and in your heart will grow into your life. It says, and if there be any praise, think on these things. So much of the instruction from the Word of God is about what you do in your mind and in your heart. Think about this. Say these things. Under the New Covenant, it's believe. Renew your mind. You're transformed by the renewing of your mind. You want to experience transformation? Renew your mind. It's not, let me figure out how to quit sinning. It's, I need to change the way that I'm thinking. If I change the way that I'm thinking, this sin will lose its hold on me. This depression will lose its hold on me. But see, the issue is not, oh, how do I change my thinking? What do I do? It's very simple. Jesus paid for it. You put yourself in remembrance of what he did for you, and to the degree that you are confident in him, it starts to transform you. When you see the victories that he went through on your behalf, it transforms you, it empowers you, it strengthens you. When you see what he went through to, to, from God to put you in a place of peace with him, it starts to change how you feel. And when you change how you feel, it changes what you think your options are. And then you might even open your heart to grace to be empowered by him. So you can pull that one down. And I want to end with this. This is the promise that I want to end with. Did you show her where the other, the Matthew 11 in the lyrics section? Let's go ahead and put this passage up here. This is Matthew 11, 28 through 30 in the message. Some of you have probably seen this. It's just a, it's a wonderful promise, but I'll read it and then we'll close. This is Jesus speaking. This is the invitation that we have from him. This is what I want to leave you with, the promise that Jesus is offering you today, tomorrow, this week, however long you want to use this to help shift your thinking and your focus back to him. But the promise is, he says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? You ever been there? I am sick of religion. We're going to do an ad that says, are you sick of religion, but you love God? You might want to check out forward. So get away with me and you'll recover your life. He doesn't say do everything right and you'll recover your life. No, get away with me. It's all about the invitation to spend time with him. It says, I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. That's where I want to live. And, and, and see, a lot of times we think, okay, well, I'm going to follow Jesus, but it's going to be difficult. There's gonna be, it's going to get hard, and I'm going to blah, blah, blah. He deals with that right here. He says, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Freely and lightly. That's the promise, living freely and lightly. King James says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He's not going to make it. God is not trying to make your life difficult. He's trying to make it peaceful. Even in the middle of the storm, there's rest because he's already done something about it. So here's, 
your meditative exercise for this week. And you could even start here. You know, Jesus gives us the invitation, come to me, come to me. So we want to go to him. He says, put your faith in me. And we want to have faith in him. But think of it this way. If Jesus were standing in front of you, and you can close your eyes and even picture this if you want. If you're a visual person, if not, that's fine. But just imagine Jesus standing in front of you, and he's asking you one question. Are you confident in me? Think about that. How would you answer that? Here's Christ standing in front of you. And putting aside the religious thinking of what faith is, he's asking, are you confident in me? Are you confident that I exchanged natures with you, that I became sin so that you could become righteous? Do you give me credit that I took the penalty for your sin? Go back to Isaiah 53 and read through all the exchange verses that talks about what he went through for us and personalize it. But that's the question. Are you confident in Jesus? I mean, is this, is this as big of a deal to you as it is to me? This is yes. This is no. How confident are you in Jesus? See, it's not how confident are you in your ability to be confident. You know what I mean? No, here's Jesus. Man, that guy. He's perfect. He's victorious over everything. I mean, what, what, what would the thoughts be in your mind if he were standing in front of you? If he were right there? I mean, would you run and hide? Would you drop to his feet? I mean, what would you do? And he says, what do you think about me? That's faith. Faith is what you do in that moment. It's, you're my God. You're my king. You're my Lord. You're my savior. You're my my deliverer. You're my provision. You're my righteousness. You're my sanctity. You're everything. That's faith. Looking at him and realizing, oh, man. I don't know what I've been doing playing church all this time, but Jesus, how confident are you? And do you want great faith? Develop your confidence in him, rooted and grounded in what he has already accomplished. So that's, I think that's what he's asking. You might have done it a little bit here today, but would you do that? I mean, you know, you could just come to church here and enjoy the worship and go home and, you know, not put any of this stuff into practice. That's your choice. But I don't, I don't want to be that kind of pastor. I don't want this to be that kind of place where you just go for an hour and a half or two hours and it doesn't ever actually touch your life. I'm telling you, if you will do this, if you will do these kinds of things, it will transform you. It will radically change what you think is possible. It will begin to change how you feel about yourself. It will begin to change the kind of choices that you make in life. It just gives you a new filter of what to expect to come your way in life. And we're just talking about, can you respond to what Jesus has done to the degree that you have hope? That you have hope that it can get better. That you have hope that this can change. That this will pass. But that's your choice to respond to him. 
so that you can let that grow in your life. That might mean you need to, uh, you know, turn off the TV because all you're going to hear is the world's getting worse. What are we going to do? I'm going to follow God. Love is the answer. I got another sermon. Y'all ready? I got another hour to go. No, I'm just thinking in my heart all these things. Father, we thank you so much.